Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Why was this one of them? The Pentagon now saying the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is in the hospital as he recovers from complications with prostate cancer surgery. The Pentagon finally responding in person now as questions mount. Plus, what would happen if the president ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate his political opponent? That was a question that was raised today as Donald Trump sat in a courtroom here in Washington. We'll tell you how his legal team responded. And Boeing continues to face major backlash after a panel fell off one of its planes mid-flight. We speak with the director of a Netflix documentary who has raised questions for years. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. Once again, I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and Democratic analyst. May Mailman, former Trump White House attorney and director of the Independent Women's Law Center. Antoine Seawright is a Democratic strategist. Hogan Gidley, former Trump White House deputy press secretary. And Mick Mulvaney joining us throughout the show, former Trump White House chief of staff, News Nation contributor as well. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello, hello. Come on in. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. We begin tonight with the word that no one ever wants to hear. But is it something we should have heard about many weeks ago? Cancer. The Pentagon today now revealing that the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is recovering from prostate cancer. They say in early December, the Secretary of Defense learned he had prostate cancer and on December 22nd underwent a minimally invasive procedure. However, on January 1st, Austin was rushed back to Walter Reed Medical Center as a result of complications and severe pain. The White House did not know the head of the military was hospitalized until January 4th. And now, well, now we know that President Biden did not even know that the Secretary of Defense had cancer until just hours ago. He was not informed until last Friday that Secretary Austin was in the hospital. He was not informed until this morning that the root cause of that hospitalization was prostate cancer. Now, Austin is expected to make a full recovery, and that unquestionably is great news. But tonight, there are now even more questions about how all of this, for lack of a better term, was seemingly top secret. Hello to you all. Thanks for being with us. Um, I mean, where to start on this one? Mick Mulvaney, former White House chief of staff, come on in and join us because, I mean, look, there's a, a few different things here. He didn't, the White House didn't know for days. And then there was President Biden finding out about all this. And still, Mick, the president didn't know that his secretary of defense had cancer. 
Yeah, uh, Blake, you know, I'm not going to blow this out of proportion as a Democrat-Republican thing. Let's talk about it from a, a management standpoint. If this White House is being properly run, and I have every indication that it is. I've met, Ron, um, I've met Jeff Science a couple times. I think he's probably running a decent White House. My guess is that Lloyd Austin got a talking to in the last 24 hours, the likes of which he has not received since boot camp. You cannot do this. Period. Stop. End of story. My guess is it may end his employment with the Biden administration. You cannot break the trust as a cabinet secretary, especially one of the big four, with the president of the United States. You cannot surprise him. You cannot keep information from him. This is a major, major screw up by the Defense Department, by the secretary. And my guess is he will be gone shortly. You think so? Okay. so Mick says this is not a Democratic Republican thing, but I got the two Democrats here exasperated as Mick was talking. So so Mick, a, a Scott here. Let's let's yeah. take a step back. He had an and his procedure was in and out. He wasn't under any sedation. My father had the same surgery probably 10 or 15 years ago. I can tell you that the secretary believed that this was an in and out procedure. He was home resting. He was working. But for the infection where he was rushed to the hospital. Right. No one would ever have known this. And if he's a private person, hold on, if he's a private person, but if he's a private person and prostate cancer, everyone deals with prostate cancer, especially men. It's a very personal uh, uh, issue for many of us. And, And as a result, had he not had the infection, I'm not sure he had an obligation to disclose a medical issue oh, simply because he was obligated. Hold on, oh. simply because simply because he's the um, head of DE, he's the defense secretary. Think about it. He's in and out. He's got a medical procedure. He goes home. Oh, he's working. Yeah, it's not the look. I'm so happy he's going to make a full recovery. Correct. Okay? Yeah, yep. we, we're all on board with that. Is a, uh, it's, 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 it's devastating. Yeah. So I'm happy for that. But understand, regardless. He doesn't have to tell the world what he's got. Mm -hmm. He has to let the president of the United States know his boss what the issue is. But he does need to follow the proper procedures in making sure someone else has command and control should he go into surgery. This didn't happen here. In fact, his number two didn't even know either. This is a seriously dangerous problem. Even if the world were at peace right now. It's not, and we have troops in harm's way, and this guy, it's And it's an affirmative lie. It's not just, I'm a private person. If the Situation Room thinks that you're one place and you are another place, if Secret Service is not somehow fully aware because they are also reporting to the White House, then there is affirmative lying going on. Right. I don't know about lying. Let's call it <laughs> May. A miscommunication. It's miscommunication. A security detail is with him. Or a lack what about of that? or a lack of communication. So Look, they my were lying father, too. very don't similar worry. to General Austin, uh, pro- served this country prostate cancer survivor. I know what it was like struggling with my father to pull information out of him. He's my dad. So I know what that can be like as a black man to deal with those issues. However, I do think that there was a miscommunication failure. Someone should have been notified. And I don't know if I agree with my dear friend Mick Mulvaney's talking to um, comment, but I do agree that there was probably policies and procedures that were updated. So everyone is informed. I want to go go around the table and I'll start with you, Mick. So January 4th, the White House knew, right? My gosh, Secretary Austin is at Walter Reed. Um, Something's going something's going on. And now as we sit here on January 9th, Mick, five days later, we now know he has cancer. At that point in time on January 4th, should he have told the president of the United States, Mr. President, here's what's going on? 
should have told him long before that. Again, Hogan's okay. right on this. It's it, he's not a private citizen, okay? And it's not your dad. And I, I get all that. I'm listen. I'm glad he's going to do fine. That this is not a discussion about, about Lloyd Austin's health. It's about how do you run an administration, and you don't keep secrets from the president of the United States. Period. That's it. And once should, should you do, Scott, that breaks it. Not in, in my opinion, not necessarily if he caught it early, he went in for a procedure, came out and was supposed to be recovering. I'm not sure that needs okay. to be disclosed. Um, Bill McGinley, come on in. Bill is the uh, former White House cabinet secretary in the Trump administration. That is a position uh, that, I, I, Bill, you can explain it to me, but is a position that basically keeps tabs over uh, cabinet secretaries, in this case, the defense secretary. And you think I'll let you speak, but. You think something doesn't add up here. That's right. The Office of Cabinet Affairs is going to be some of the connective tissue that comes out of the White House. OMB is going to have a role. The National Security Council is going to have a role. Cabinet Affairs is going to have a role. The timeline that you just put up on the screen uh, that laid out basically how this whole thing unfolded, I'm not aware of any instance where President Trump, the National Security Advisor, the White House Chief of Staff, knew that a cabinet member was going through a medical procedure and was unavailable and had delegated all of his or her authorities to the DEPSEC who was on vacation while the chief of staff was at home sick with the flu. We're all glad that Secretary Austin is going to make a full recovery. But this is something that can't happen. And we've seen this type of dysfunction before, and they really need to correct these procedures. <laughs> we have American men and women in uniform being attacked overseas. We have a war in Europe. Uh, Iran is getting increasingly aggressive, and so is China. The Secretary of Defense is a primary player in the national security uh, uh, policy and implementation, including protecting Americans abroad. This never should have happened. Your your question earlier was, is Joe Biden going to fire him or relinquish of his duties? I I don't believe that because Joe Biden is a compassionate and passionate man. And he knows that this was just perhaps a miscommunication thing. And I think that's a learning lesson. I agree with the fact he's not going to be fired. I think he remains sec deaf, but I don't agree that he's a compassionate man. I think he's a buffoon. Bill said something, I think. No, Joe Biden. He said he's not going to fire him because Joe Biden's a compassionate man. I just think he's a buffoon. Well, even people in your own party would disagree with that statement. I don't disagree with. So, Bill, I disagree with that, too. Bill, Bill McGinley pointed out something that uh, was the word dysfunction. And I think that that's actually being underemphasized here because we're talking about should Secretary Austin have informed him? Should should he have not? How did someone not know? How are there not daily briefings, yes. twice daily briefings? How is the National uh, Security Advisor not on the phone with the Defense Secretary every single day? Yeah. The fact that this has to be disclosed is almost the crazy part. The fact mm-hmm. that the White House is not on top of their game, that but, but, is the scandal. But hold on. The, you the said there were procedures that were up, You yeah. said there may be procedures updated. Well, no, they don't need them. There is this hasn't happened before. They yeah. don't need to update anything. They're well, already set in stone. Well, you just didn't follow them. Bill, do they, the Bill, did, Bill, did they need to update it or no? Look, I think that what they did today was put out a response, and I think it was purely a comms political response to something that is really a substantive problem that they have right now um, in the national security apparatus of this of, of this White House. And uh, okay. I think it was Hogan or May said, you know, how is it that they were not talking on a daily basis, I think is really uh, a great point. Remember, the Secretary of Defense is going to be traveling around with a security detail, secure comms, and all sorts of policy people that are with him or her. Uh, and if you're going to have something like that, How is it that nobody in the White House was notified that Secretary of Defense Austin 
was in Walter Reed, a military facility, mm. receiving surgery. Right. All right. Bill McGinley, uh, we'll say goodbye to you there. Uh, thanks for rushing in to, to share your expertise and talk about this. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you soon, Bill Scott. I'll give you the last word on this, but, but let, me ask you, let me ask you this. Is it fair and reasonable to ask that if the Secretary of Defense was not fully forthright with the President of the United States about this, then what might he not be forthright oh, about oh, with reach. other things? That, that's is that probably, a reach? Yeah, How's that a reach? Yeah, that's reach. You, that, you say it's not? That's reach. Of course it's. That's Mick, is that a, Mick, is that a reach? Or would you ask that as a, as a... You were giving me the last word. Go, go, go. go. That's fine. That's fair. I'll give you, I'll give you the last word. Go. The, this is what needs to be investigated. Who dropped the ball? Was this a staffing issue? I agree with yeah. you. The White House should have been advised. But they did know where he was. His security deal had to know where he was. The Naval Hospital had to know where he was. But now, I don't know what happened after that. I got you. The situation and that needs to be investigated, he was and I home. agree with you yeah, there. That's a real problem. I got you. Okay. I got you. All right. Uh, also, by the way, here in Washington <laughs> today, Donald Trump choosing to be in a courtroom instead of out on the campaign trail. The former president attending an appeals hearing over whether he has presidential immunity. If so, it would prevent him from facing charges related to his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. After the hearing, the president took his case before the cameras. As a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. And if you don't, as an example, if uh, this case were lost on immunity and I did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, I'm working for the country and I worked on uh, very hard on voter fraud because we have to have free elections. Okay, so that was Donald Trump, uh, May, former Trump White House attorney, Scott Bolden, resident counsel on the show. Can I call you that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let May go first. Uh, uh, so I, 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 I'll let May go first. Um, but this was part of the argument uh, that, that was talked about in court and really got talked about afterwards. Watch. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first, my answer is qualified. Yes, there's a political process that would have to occur under us, the structure of our constitution, which would require impeachment and conviction by the Senate. All right. So that was the hypothetical that was thrown out in court today, May. So I think, you know, I would go ahead and give that one. Sure. If, if you're going to go assassinate someone, I, then, then go ahead and criminally convict them. But I think the hypo is kind of stupid in the sense that if you're actually telling SEAL Team 6 to go assassinate someone, you're going to get impeached. So, so you almost don't even need to, like, I'm, I'm not going to give credit. I'm not going to give credit to that hypo. The real point, though, is for, for the entirety of our nation's history, the entirety, there has never once been a criminal prosecution for an official act. Okay, you can debate whether his speech was an official act or not, but I think that Jack Smith is basically saying that they're they're not going to make that argument. Like that 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 argument hasn't been made yet, so that really is the point here. And SEAL Team Six is entirely besides the point. It's not even debatable because this could never be an official act because the president has zero role under the Constitution in the transfer of power and the certification of these delegates and these votes from the states. No role whatsoever. Secondly, the argument we. We never had a president like Donald Trump, but the argument that somehow he's immune from criminal conduct where he is only has immunity for acts under the presidential uh, rubric of leadership 
There was none here. And we've never had a president who incited an insurrection like that. You don't have to be convicted of it. And that's why this argument won't hunt. And they're going to lose there. And I predict they're going to lose at the well, U.S. No Supreme Court, too. No because the federal court in Georgia and the federal district court here has ruled against them already, saying that you are not a king. You have no immunity for right. any act because no one man, no one person is above the law. Okay. Period. Drop the mic. Kaput. I, w- I want to get to Mick, but y- go for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not scandalized, I guess by President Trump's speech being like, you know, we must prosecute or else, you know, it's the end of the world. But let's just say it is. Okay. I'm talking about the speech on January 6th. The speech on January 6th. You're not scandalized by that? I am not scandalized by that. Sorry. Um, Wow. So it was a speech. It's protected by the First Amendment. And And it calls an insurrection on January 6th where people die. We live in a society that protects free speech. Period. Not that speech. I'm sorry that 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 speech offends you, but, but... In America, the reason that the First Amendment exists is to protect the speech that offends you. No. Hate speech offends me. Speech that incites an insurrection and a riot where seven police officers died, that's offensive. Mick, Mick, come come on in. Jump on in here, and then I I want to end by asking you if you thought it was smart politically for him to be here today and not in Iowa. Yeah, the answer to that question is yes. We can get that one out of the way, absolutely. Anytime he can get on TV, it's a good thing for him. And it is. We're talking about him now instead of Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. It's a playbook. He's been doing it very, very well for the last six months. So that's an easy question. The issue on there's it's not possible that the president is completely immune from everything. Both um, May and Scott know about the concept of something that's ultra-virus outside of your scope. And, and if it, this is something that is outside the scope of his work as president then there's no way he can be immune from it. It's Mark Meadows, I think, was making the same argument um, yes. when they said, you know, he said this was an official act. And they said the chief of staff has zero to do with getting a president elected. That is not that, that is not part of your official duty. So there's no way you could be protected. There's no way a president is completely immune from everything. May's right. The, the, okay. the example of SEAL Team 6 is, a, is an absurd e- extremity. But I, I think Trump probably loses this one under the argument hmm. that the speech was outside of his official duties. Okay. All right. Well, coming up here on the Hill on News Nation, a lot more to get to on the other side of the break. Senator Ron Johnson, what's going on with the southern border? What are Republicans going to do about it? Oh, by the way, is there, what's going on with the spending deal? There's a lot of Republicans upset about that. We'll speak to the senator in moments. And then Harvard University, May and Mix alma mater. That thing ain't going away anytime soon. Congress now wants answers. They want text. They want documents. They want more. The Hill on News Nation. Back in a few. movement. Report fevers, stiff muscles, or problems thinking as these may be life-threatening. Sleepiness is the most common side effect. It's nice. People focus more on me. Ask your doctor about number one prescribed once daily in Gressa. Tonight on News Nation Exclusive, national correspondent Robert Sherman brings us inside the Gaza tunnels. Go with our cameras and see the massive infrastructure Hamas built underground firsthand. Tonight on Elizabeth Vargas Reports, only on News Nation. <coughs> Welcome back here to the Hill on News Nation. So, as the crisis on the southern border continues, there is gridlock in the Senate in the ongoing negotiations over the border. The key sticking point is the parole power of the president to temporarily allow migrants into the United States. Joining us now, the Republican senator from the state of Wisconsin, longtime member of the Homeland Security Committee, Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, thank you for being back here. On the Hill on News Nation, appreciate the time as always. Um, I, I want to start 
Senator, with this uh, tweet from one of your colleagues, Congressman Eli, Cr- Eli Crane, he says, shut down the border or shut down the government. You okay with that? I don't like government shutdowns, but I, I would say the main problem we have in these negotiations is, in effect, we're negotiating with the arsonist and trying to negotiate how to put out the fire he started. Uh, and it's a big problem. I mean, we have an administration, we have a president of the United States who want an open border that caused this problem. I mean, they, they are the ones that removed all the successful policies that had secured the border under President Trump. So you have his Democrat colleagues here in the Senate that voted against completing the wall. So we're negotiating with people that want an open border that caused a problem, and we also have a president that is lawless. He, he ignores Supreme Court decisions on eviction moratorium, on student loan debt. We have no confidence that he will actually follow the law, that he'll abide by the agreement. That's an Why won't anything get done, though? I mean, there's also a new negotiation. There, there's also a new Speaker of the House, and he hasn't put anything new forward. So why should, should Americans feel confident that Republicans are going to get this done? Well, the House passed a bill that would have provided a great deal of border security. The problem even with that bill right now is we are apprehending or encountering 10,000 people a day on average last month. 10,000 people. Under this Biden administration, spends 7,500 people per day for the entire administration. I remember Secretary Jay Johnson under Obama said 1,000 people a day overwhelmed the system. So the question is, even if you pass a law uh, with great provisions, how do you enforce it? Where, where are the personnel? How, how do you do the adjudication? You know, how do you actually, you know, one of the provisions supposedly in negotiating is if apprehensions exceed four or 5,000, which basically tacitly agrees to, I guess, four or 5,000 people entering this country every day is okay. It's not. But if that happens, we're going to seal the border. Well, how are you going to do that? How do you actually seal the border when you have this massive catastrophe, this massive flow of illegal immigration? It's, it's, a, it's a huge problem. But again, it's a problem caused by this administration is Democrat allies in the House and Senate. Senator, I heard you say off the top when I asked you that you don't want a government shutdown. There is a a spending top line level agreement, basically one point six trillion dollars between chunks. Can't hear me, Senator. Looks like it dropped out. Um, Senator, uh, thank you for the time. If you can't hear me. Nope. Okay. All right. Over to the panel. I was going to ask him uh, about government spending deal and whether or not only cutting $16 billion as a success for Republicans or not, but we'll save that for another day. Antoine, you were shaking your head throughout. Well, I think it's crazy as hell for the senator or anyone else to think that Joe Biden is the reason we have an immigration or border problem. Look, this president has been very clear he is pro-border security. In fact, he's put together a proposal to say that. If there's anything all of us should know is that Joe Biden catches much hell than anyone else in our party for wanting to work with Republicans to do things for the American experiment. And so I think it's a little immature for anyone to say that, especially a United States senator. And when we talk about this issue of immigration, make no mistake, it is politically advantageous for the Republicans to make continue making immigration a red meat issue because it fires up their base. If they work with Democrats to get a resolve, then guess what? They have nothing to campaign what about, on next What year. about that? Get something done. Yeah. What they want done. Join Joe Biden and get what, done. what Joe Biden wants <laughs> to do is put more people down there to process right. more illegal aliens when they come into this country. It's not that's to not steal. True. It's not. Of course it is. It's just money. It's a money bill. He wants true. people There's to no push paper. Change. That's what he wants. There's no policy change except for this man comes into office, did Joe Biden, and changed 
everything and bragged about doing everything the opposite of Donald Trump. And then when all of a sudden the numbers start spiking, 300,000 in the month of December, he looks around and acts like these things are happening to him. They're happening because of him. And Senator Johnson is 100% correct. This is what he wants to have happen. Otherwise, he would seal the border. He would do exactly If it was up to you and your guys, then the fact of the matter is he built a wall, Mexico pays for it, and that's the end of our immigration issues. That was that, 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 that was BS deals with Mexico. That was BS then, we had, we, and it's BS now. And the idea that somehow hey. another is Joe Biden fault for, for an issue that's been lingering for generations, I just hey, think that's immature. Hey, Mick, I, Mick I'm going to ask you the question that I would have asked the senator um, on the spending front. Okay. There is a... Oh, I, I got a. Re- oh, where's he coming reaction. at? Where's he coming at this with reaction from Nick? <laughs> there is a 1.6 trillion dollar top line spending agreement to keep the government open, and part of what Mike Johnson, the new House Speaker, has negotiated is 16 billion dollars in cuts. We have racked up since Christmas more than 100 billion in fresh new debt this fiscal year, more than a trillion dollars. 16 billion, Mick, is like you saving 10 cents on your most recent cup of coffee. Is that a failure from Mike Johnson? Yeah, actually, I think it's less than that. I don't know if it's a failure okay. of Mike Johnson. It's a, I think it's a product of the fact that you've got a two-vote majority in the House. I don't know how Mike is going to do any better. I think what happens here is what happens every single time we come up against a government shutdown in the last decade, which is that there's going to be a deal that's going to spend a lot of money. It's going to get every single Democrat vote and some Republican votes. And the question is going to be, is it going to be 40 Republicans in the House or 140 Republicans in the House? Because that will then impact whether or not Mike Johnson can keep his job. I think it's probably as good a deal as you're going to get, given the Mm. fact you don't have that much leverage and that much authority. All right. Well, coming up here on the Hill, uh, time to act. Lawmakers want details about Harvard's anti-Semitism investigation, plus DEI and two billionaires. How the public feud between Elon Musk and Mark Cuban is taking another turn. And by the way, one of those two men on that screen name checks one of the members on this panel. We'll tell you what they said coming up on the other side. Tonight on News Nation Exclusive, national correspondent Robert Sherman brings us inside the Gaza tunnels. Go with our cameras and see the massive infrastructure Hamas built underground firsthand. Tonight on Elizabeth Vargas Reports, only on News Nation. Welcome back here to the Hill on News Nation. So there is another twist in the feud between two of the world's richest men. It all started with Elon Musk, uh, Elon Musk rather, posting, quote, DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion, is just another word for racism. Now, that tweet was met with a reply from fellow billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban, who shared a long series of posts about the benefits of DEI as he sees it. Cuban saying in part, quote, by extending hiring searches, companies can find people that are more qualified. But now the dispute has escalated with Elon Musk calling Mark Cuban, quote, racist, leading to Cuban uh, Cuban to block Musk, the CEO of X, uh, from his own platform. You know Scott. what's entertaining to me, and it's, it's really sad, not really entertaining. You got two rich white guys arguing over who's racist, and neither <laughs> one of them have lived the DEI experience. Neither one of them have the melanin in my skin. Whether you're rich, poor, if you are in a protected class, 
We've lived racism and live it every day. And so Elon Musk, if he believes these programs, DEI, is reverse racism, uh, then he just uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. Excellence qualifications have always been at the base of DEI to reverse 400 years of racism. Nothing wrong with that. We have studies that show a more diverse work team in a corporate America uh, is a more powerful team, and we're not taking anybody's job. I, I was managing partner for a large international um, law firm at the D.C. office, and I can't tell you one hire we had that was DEI that was either not qualified or picked over somebody the that issue was qualified. You take is. Yeah, so, but I mean, just in practice, like it's, it's false. Maybe at your firm, mm -hmm. it's literally two people with the exact same resumes. You wouldn't know, and you pick one. It turns, you know, turns out uh, they're a minority hire, and that's great. You're not discriminating. You're not uh, you giving people everybody. a boost. But if you're giving people a boost... Well, then you're giving someone a, a thumb on the scale against them. But and that really is... That's not how it works, though. That's not how it works. works. You so can, you you just, everyone gets everyone the everyone job. It how it's supposed to work. But in a lot of instances, whether it be college and, and universities, law firms, corporations, it is working that way. That's why... Well, how do you know that? Give me uh, an example of how of that has worked. That I don't want no plenty. Look, I want to give me an example. that have popped up in this, in this realm that have not been adjudicated to this point. Mm -hmm. But there are serious concerns about it and taking it to court and figuring but out... Intel, like, you know, you know, I have real concerns about this right-wing activist court and their actions when it, and their attack on DEI. I also have concerns when you look at... Which broad, one are you talking about, Supreme? Broad, when you look at broad, broad shoulder, corporate American, what it has looked like for so many years, mm -hmm. and black folks have never had a seat at the table. We've always been on been the menu. And, and been denied. Because, because of their Qualified race. and denied. Qualified and, and denied. And there's efforts to bring us to the conversation, so allow us illegal. to do what we're qualified to do. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you have efforts to somehow or another push that to the side and call it wrong and call it bad yeah. policy. So it's illegal? Hey, jump, it's, jump it is illegal, to, it is illegal to exclude black people from the table. And it has been illegal since... Probably okay. the you know the Fourteenth Amendment, but certainly since 1964, right? Mm -hmm. And so the question now. I don't mean it hasn't been done in practice. No, no, no but it is exactly. illegal. But it is illegal. Okay. So so, so uh, I I think that you can, you can say that that law maybe it didn't solve all of our problems, but it is a tool that we can use. Question now is whether it is a tool that we can use to you know give people who are traditionally underrepresented a leg up. And the problem is at some oh. point, at some point, don't we want a color? blind society. We will well, never actually be colorblind. Yet, but at some point, we're don't we want it? So, we can never so. get there. So Mark, we can never get so. there if we keep discriminating. So here's what Mark Cuban said. Here. you're not reverse discriminating against anybody. Here's what... You're, you're, even in the playing field, after 400 <laughs> years of discrimination, we're not there yet. I, I, hear, I hear Mick in the background and come on in because here's what, Mick, here's what Mark Cuban said. He said, I'm open-minded based on the feedback on X to my DEI post. I decided to look for a high-profile organization where the person in charge of hiring was publicly against DEI and see if it was a template for hiring success. And then he goes on in a subsequent tweet, as you can see there, to basically list about a dozen or so ex-Trump administration officials, including our friend Mick Mulvaney. <laughs> Mick? I I, I'm sorry, that's news to me. What did he say about me? I, I don't follow what the, what the thread is. I'm sorry. I can't pop, see. pop the thread back that. up. He basically said, hey, I want to find a prof, uh, uh, an organization in which everyone uh, isn't. He says, I decided to look for a high-profile organization where the person in charge of hiring was publicly against DEI 
and see if it was a template for hiring success. So this organization, quote unquote, that he's talking about is basically ex-Trump administration officials. And he name checks you. I texted you this, Mick. You must have not seen my text, buddy. <laughs> I, I must not. Have, like, I, I, I've been following this thing with Mark Cuban. All I can say is to Mark Cuban, you know, welcome to politics. You know, he's a lot. So many of these these rich businessmen and women think, oh, I've succeeded in the world of business. Politics is going to be easy. Uh, and it's not. It's a different business hmm. entirely. Otherwise, Mike Bloomberg would be president of the United States. And he didn't I think he get less than one percent in, in a Democrat <laughs> primary. So, look, Mark Cuban is, 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 is yeah. he's out there. That's great. I will go take a look and maybe respond to him directly. I'm you know, look, let's find something we can agree on. Let's all try and figure out a way to work to a point okay. where. You don't have to care about the, the color of somebody's skin. Um, that was the way I was raised. I was raised not to even ask the question. Uh, you weren't supposed to ask that question. It was, that, that was a racist thing to do, was to say, oh, well, this person, you're not supposed to even ask the question. Now, apparently, it's all the questions you're going to ask. I'll ask Scott this. Scott, look, I may feel differently about DEI when I start to see conservative black women treated the same as liberal black women, because I don't think it's there yet. In fact, I don't think it's even close. You're, you're comparing apples and oranges, because we are not living in a colorblind society. You know that. We're not there yet. I would hope that one day, Martin Luther King would hope that one day we would get there, but we're not there yet. That's our reality, and until we get there, we've got you know, to even the playing field. Go to my example. Go to my example about my opportunity. That's not reverse, reverse of, of discrimination. Been weighing in here. Well, I said that. Has the ultimate meritocracy, <laughs> where whoever's the best gets to play. He's not littering the court with short white. Uh, well, I want to ask May and Mick real quick before we go about Harvard. They're both Harvard grads. Uh, <laughs> Education <laughs> Committee now going after Harvard. They basically want documents, Mick and May, uh, within the next two weeks. And I'm wondering real quick before we go, uh, what, what do you think about it? I mean, dunking on Harvard is always a, a, good, <laughs> is a good approach. This is on the anti-Semitism front. Um, but yeah, Harvard is not different, I think, from a lot of other elite institutions where they have implemented DEI in practice, where they have actually uh, elevated people based on their status, which has ended up being that Jewish people are not protected. And so I think that those are good questions to ask is yeah. how have you failed to protect people based on their status? And here it is your Jewish status. Mick? Their life is about to get a lot more difficult. Um, if you're a member of the Harvard Corporation, um, welcome to Washington, D.C. You're going to be hauled in front of at least one, maybe a dozen con uh, committees before this is over. Um, you always thought it was a great job, you know, run up there and run one of the premier universities. Your life is about to get a lot more difficult. Okay. All right. Uh, Got to leave it there. Not the last. We're going to be talking about all of this, I promise you. Uh, coming and up here I from the Hill. I found the text, Berman, by the way. I did find the text. So okay, it, yeah, yes, show you did the audience. I wasn't lying. I texted Mulvaney. I'm like, Mark Cuban's name checking you. Uh, all right. On the other side of the break, by the way, that, that, that Boeing uh, flight where the, the thing fell off in midair, there's been a Netflix documentary. Not sure if you've seen it that looks into Boeing and really what's been going on there over the last uh, handful of years or so. We will speak to the producer of that documentary on the other side of the break and what she thinks Congress needs to do about it. That's coming up here on The Hill. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. 
At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hand and say, we got a problem here. They would say, yeah, you're right. We're going to fix it. Every time I'd raise my hand and say, hey, we got a problem here, they would attack the messenger and, and ignore the message. All right, well, welcome back. That is from the uh, Netflix documentary, Downfall, The Case Against Boeing. Downfall looks into the 2018 and 2019 Boeing 737 MAX 8 crashes that killed all 346 people on board. The Alaska Airlines 737 MAX 9 that was forced to make an emergency landing the other day after a door blew out is now raising more questions, more concerns, really, about Boeing. The Federal Aviation Administration sharing an update, uh, an update rather, just a little while ago saying, quote, the safety of the flying public, not speed, will determine the timeline for the return uh, of the Boeing, Boeing 737-9 MAX to service. Joining us now is the producer and director of Downfall, the case against Boeing, Rory Kennedy. Rory, thank you for being here on the Hill on News Nation. Appreciate the time. Um, this is something that's obviously... Near and dear to you, you you focused on this for a while, and I'm wondering when you heard the story, saw the video, uh, both the other day, what went through your mind? Well, really what went through my mind was that I was not surprised, um, <laughs> and I was grateful that something more catastrophic hadn't happened. I think this is a, a, we're a lucky opportunity and also a wake-up call that the culture at Boeing has still not changed despite having killed 346 people in those Boeing 737 MAX crashes 2018-2019. They uh, articulated a commitment to make changes, and over the last number of years, I've had an increasing level of concern about the fact that the culture there really hasn't changed. Why were you not surprised? Is it just that it's it's same old, same old in your eyes or something else? Well, what we saw with the 737 MAX crashes, the two airplanes that crashed within five months of each other, two new Boeing 737 MAX airplanes, is a culture that really led to those crashes and a culture that prioritized profits over safety. After those crashes, Boeing made a commitment to airline safety, but what I've seen in the last number of years over and over again is Boeing trying to skirt safety requirements and lobbying Congress to uh, be exempt from safety rules. In fact, there was an article in the Seattle Times just last week on January 5th saying yeah. that they were Boeing was arguing to skirt safety requirements to get its 737 um, up in the sky, the, the, a, a different 737 MAX yeah. 7. Michael, Michael Stumo is in, your, is in your documentary. We spoke to him here on the show yesterday. His, his daughter was killed in one of those plane crashes uh, a few years ago. He said the following, Rory, and I want to get your reaction on the other side. Congress needs to do a comprehensive investigation if you hear, see mere hearings, they're only for show. They need a full investigation. The White House should be asking for an investigation, too. Is there anything you think Washington, Washington can do, Rory? And if so, what is it? Because he was basically saying mere yeah, hearings gonna, are for show. 
Yeah, I, I'm in total agreement with Michael Stumo. I think we're also going to see the NTSB reports come out. The NTSB is going to really focus on technically what went wrong with the aircraft, um, why, why the door was dislodged. But what it's not going to get to, and it's not going to ask the questions of how is it that this continues, these kinds of events continue to happen on Boeing yeah. aircraft. And that's really what we need to get to. We need to understand what's happening at the board level, what's happening at the level of the CEO, David Calhoun, who is, you know, his background is coming from GE. How much is this company focusing on the bottom line and profits and skirting their, the, the, the needs that, uh, of, of airplane requirements to make sure that the, the public is safe. Rory Kennedy, uh, got to leave it there, director of Downfall, the case against Boeing documentary uh, on, on Netflix. Rory, thank you for being here. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. Nice, nice being here with you. Yeah, of course. Uh, Elizabeth Vargas, I know this is um, a story that you have been discussing and following on your show. Uh, quite the statement from the FAA there just a little while ago. Yeah, and reassuring, I must say, as a member of the flying yeah. public, that they will not be rushed. <laughs> They're going to make sure all these planes are safe. You know, I saw Rory's documentary when it came out a few years ago. It was really powerful and really disturbing mm -hmm. because it meticulously laid out a pattern of behavior in which Boeing as a company in the interest of, of, of profits and speed, was sacrificing safety, according to Boeing workers. So, right. I mean, that's when you have the people on the assembly line saying, whoa, 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 we're going too fast here, we're not doing the proper inspections here. They had all sorts of cases where they showed planes were being inspected and they found, like, loose bolts <clears throat> and things that were left behind yep. because everybody was so rushed. We already know in these inspections of the MAX 9s that they have found, United Airlines has found several that had loose bolts. So this was clearly not just a single issue with a single plane. <laughs> By the way, just to clarify, the MAX 9 is simply a longer version of the MAX 8. It is not an entirely different plane per right. se. It's a longer model of the same plane. Right. Uh, what do you got coming up tonight? Oh, we're going to delve in, obviously, to today's court hearing. We're also, we have, yeah. some of the, we have the latest uh, UFO hullabaloo over brand new video okay. that the Department of Defense has over a military installation in Iraq. And we're going to weigh in on t kids and TikTok and social media. Yet another state <laughs> is now saying we need to crack down on this. Social media companies are fighting back, filing lawsuits this week, saying, no, 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 we got this. We'll make sure it's safe for your kids. In one state alone, they've had a spate of teen suicides, which indicates they don't yeah. got this. Yeah, when they're, when they're saying, oh, it's all good for the kids, don't worry about it. Yeah, that's, right. As a mom yeah, of two as, kids, you know, it's not yeah, happening. Yeah, that's as yeah. a dad of two, that's when you say, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Vargas, thank sure. you. We'll, uh, we'll see you here in about seven minutes' time. You can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports, 6 o'clock Eastern, right here on News Nation. But before we go, Mother Nature making her presence felt on the campaign trail. Have you seen what's going on in Iowa? Final thoughts from the panel. All right, so before we say goodbye, a few moments out on the campaign trail that caught our eye. The candidate's final push in Iowa is running up against Mother Nature. Six to 12 inches of snow and a polar vortex expected across uh, parts of Iowa during the caucuses. Vivek Ramaswamy found himself in a snow ditch on his way to a campaign event with the help of a good Samaritan. He was on his way out. Ramaswamy, by the way, is offering 
free beer, uh, I believe, maybe on college campuses when, when he's there in Iowa. Judge Judy has now endorsed Nikki Haley. I whatever. mean, this is where we, whatever. When's this is where we are. <laughs> anyone thought about what? Judge Judy? The most important thing is you're, you have Antoine, myself, Mick Mulvaney, South Carolinians. We do weather better. Yeah. And also, congratulations <laughs> on classing up your show. With this crew. With three South Carolinians. South Carolinians. There you go. We do weather way better than Iowa, for sure. Well, I married a South Carolinian. Does that there we go. I'm from Joliet, Illinois. No one does better than us. We never cancel school because of snow. And the beer Mul- and the frat parties, i be honest with you, it's a bad mix. Mul- <laughs> it's a bad mix. Mulvaney, last word. We had four inches of rain here. It was miserable. On Mark Cuban, he did the list. It was 2017, 2018 Trump. The Mavs went 24 and 58 that year. I'll put Trump's first years up against Cuban's first years in, in that time against anybody. There you go. Mick you go on the Mick. way out the you door taking a shot on Mark Cuban. Speaking of Mick, thank you very much. Thank you all for being here. Speaking of sports, go blue. Congrats, Coach Harbaugh. You had to get Thanks for watching us here on the Hill. Set your DVR to watch us 5 o'clock Eastern. We'll be back here tomorrow. Elizabeth starts right now. Welcome to Elizabeth Vargas Reports. We have news from around the country, around the world, and possibly from another galaxy. That probably has your attention. All right, let's get started. Tonight, inside the booming border business of fake passports, illegal immigrants with forged documents pretending to be minors. Are other countries helping supply this black market? That's the crossing into Israel. Inside the terrorist labyrinth, News Nation digging deep into Hamas's maze.